Hello, welcome to another episode of Field of Screams podcast. Today we will be covering the movie Freddy vs. Jason. This movie was a long time coming. It was always talked about, people always tried to pitch it, but it never quite happened. Lots of scripts were written. Actually, 18 scripts were written by 12 different writers, and they finally felt like they got a version down that they could be proud of. In this film, we have Robert England, who plays Freddy, and we have Ken Kurzinger, who plays Jason. Now, Hodder, who had played Jason in the previous couple of movies, he really wanted to be in it. He was actually one of the main advocates who was preaching for this crossover for the longest time, but they did not choose him to play Jason. Directing this film is Ronnie Yu, who was not very familiar with either of the franchise. Which I think is a pretty good thing. If you bring in someone neutral, you know, catch them up on the films, you know, they could create quite the neutral film when you're making a versus movie. Now, when I say neutral, I mean you're covering each character equally, and when they actually go against each other, you know, the fight almost has to be even. I mean, if Jason came in and kicked Freddy's butt, Nightmare on Elm Street fans would be ticked off if Freddy came in and slaughtered Jason to bits. You know, we would have Friday the 13th fans very angry. So you had to do both franchises, do service, and this movie, you gotta give it credit. They actually have the characters fight each other. Um, so many times we see versus movies, and the fights are so short and they end up teaming up anyways to fight some bigger, badder thing. That doesn't happen here. They actually fight each other, and they fight each other quite a bit. And it's pretty fun when they're fighting. So that's something we could be thankful for. Now how we get these two characters is, in Springwood, the town's basically cleansed the idea of Freddy. Um, the kids no longer know of Freddy Krueger. Any evidence of what went on, they basically quarantined all the victims and all the people that Freddy Krueger affected, so they can't talk to anyone, and no one knows about Freddy Krueger anymore. He's powerless. So he needs to find a way to install fear into the town so that he can return and become powerful again. So he brings back, not brings back, he brings in Jason. And he brings in Jason by, you know, doing Freddy Krueger things, infiltrating his dreams, acting like his mother, telling him he needs to go to this town and kill a lot of people. And, of course, Jason listens to his mother. I think it's a pretty plot device to combine these two together. I mean, both franchises, they're not really alike. They're really different. Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, it deals in the dream world. Um, there's a lot of fantasy going on. Friday the 13th, you know, it's a straight-up slasher at a camp. Well, most of the time it's at a camp. You know, other times we go to space and hell and we fight Carrie and all that good stuff. But they're two very different franchises. So, I mean, this just simple plot, it works really well. And they catch us up in the beginning with Robert England doing a little dialogue, kind of explaining how the parents came after him, how he needs fear, he doesn't have the fear, and this is why he's doing it. Um, it catches you up pretty quickly if you aren't very familiar with the franchise, either of them. Um... So, the beginning's very good in my opinion, that little dialogue scene. I really like that. Um, it helps mainstream fans get caught up. Those who know what's going on, it's kind of cool to see it again. 
Um, and it's always nice hearing Robert England talk. As Jason stumbles into town after having his dream of his mother talking to him, which is, his dream does take place in Camp Crystal Lake, and I think it would make sense that if Freddy did go into Jason's dreams, of course it would be at Camp Crystal Lake and he'd be dreaming about killing teens, of course. Um, but while he comes into town, we meet our characters in this movie. We have Lori, who is our main final girl. Um, Lori is very quiet. Um, she's had tragedy in her life. She kind of hints that her mom died earlier in her life. In the beginning scene, she's talking to her friend Kia. And Kia kind of references that she had a, a boyfriend at one point who seemingly ditched her. She hasn't heard from him. So, I mean, she has a lot of trust issues, and Kia's trying to get her to break from that. So, it's Lori and Kia, and then they also have their friend, Gib. Now, Gib is played by the girl who's in Ginger Snaps. Um, Gib has a boyfriend named Trey, and Trey brought his friend, Blake. So, I mean, this is kind of the group we see in the beginning. Now, Kia is trying to get Lori to hook up with Blake. And it's kind of funny the first time we see Blake, he is like, oh, look at him. Like, he, he's fine. And Lori looks around the corner, and Blake is sitting there with alcohol in his hand, and he's, like, itching his crotch, like, just really lazily. And she's like, oh, like, could it be anyone else? And she's not into him. Even after that moment, Kia kind of still tries to make her go with Blake. And I'm, in my head, I'm just kind of like, Kia's kind of a bad friend in this movie. I mean, she, she wants nothing to do with a guy, but she keeps trying to push it and push it. Um, but enough of that, because then we got to go with Gib. Um, her boyfriend, Trey, wants like a back rub, basically wants to fool around. Gib goes upstairs. It seems like she doesn't even want to, but she goes up anyways. They, they do the deed. Um, and the entire time, Trey's like, you smell like cigarettes. Ugh. And then, like, when they get done doing the deed, Trey's like, you know I don't like to be touched after. Like, he's just very... He's a, he's a diva. He, he's an awful guy. But he gets killed pretty quickly, so that's okay. Gib goes to take a shower, and of course Trey's like, good, because you smell like cigarettes still. And while she's in the shower... Jason sneaks into the house, which I don't really know how he goes upstairs without anyone else notice, noticing from downstairs. Um, but Jason stabs him like ten times and then folds him in half in the bed. It's actually, it's kind of a cool shot. I remember when I was younger, I went to the drive-in and I was watching, a, I forget what movie it was, but I went to the concession stand and on the other end of the drive-in, Freddy vs. Jason was playing, and I was really interested. I wanted to watch that instead, but I, but I couldn't, because whoever took me there, you know, they wanted me to watch the other movie. But this entire scene is what I watched. Um, When I was young, I don't know how old I was, probably like 12, maybe younger. Um, But I remember that scene, like, it scared me. I was like, oh man, Jason's scary. Um, So that little scene of Jason just taking care of Trey, I'll, I'll always remember that from seeing that at the drive-in. Once Trey's death happens, things really get rolling, and this movie does not slow down much, and it really can't with all the plot it has to shove in. Um, at that point, 
we go with Blake, who we know Blake probably isn't going to last. I mean, with that introduction, I mean, no movie's ever showed a character, like, sloppily hunched over in a chair, itching his crotch while he has a, a beer in his hand. And that guy will never be the hero of the movie. So we know he's going to reach his fate somewhat soon. But he goes home, he's talking to his dad, he's yelling at his dad to leave him alone. And then Freddy tries to get him with, like, a shadow attack. This, like, this is probably one of the worst scenes in the movie. Like, the shadow attack doesn't look that great. He swipes at him. It's not very effective. Um, but then Blake wakes up because Jason Voorhees killed his dad by chopping off his head. Blake catches the head, and then he tries to use the head as a shield, but it's no good. So Jason Voorhees then takes care of Blake. Now, during these crime scenes, and I'm skipping a bit because there's just a lot to talk about in this movie... The cops kind of hint at hiding Freddy Krueger. Um, one officer brings it up and the sheriff about shoves him down to the ground. He's like, shut your mouth. Don't you ever bring that up again or I'll have you fired and sent to another district and blah, blah, blah. He wants nothing to do with it. And during this entire time, we have this new cop, um, Deputy Stubbs, I believe is his name. Um, it's the same actor who played the idiotic character in Scary Movie. Um, the, the athletic one who, like, punches his locker and he, like, has his head out of the, out of the little opening on top of the car. It's that guy. Um, as soon as I seen him, I'm like, man, he looks familiar. He was in a goofy movie and I was like, oh, it's a scary movie. But Officer, or not Officer... Deputy Stubbs is kind of snooping around too, and he notices there's something going on with this town. Now we go to two other characters, uh, Mark and Will. Will is Lori's long-lost boyfriend that they hint at at the beginning of the movie, um, and Mark is his friend. Um, both of them have had kind of traumatic experiences. They're at the Weston Psychiatric Hospital from Nightmare on Elm Street 3. So that's a cool little tie-in they do. Um, and speaking of tie-ins, they also talk about the drug, the Hypnosil, um, from also the Dream Warriors movie. Um, they tie that in also. So it's, an, again, a really nice tie-in from the Dream Warriors. I enjoyed those little references. Um, but Mark, he saw his brother commit suicide. That's what they called it. But Mark always knew something else was at foot. Um, he had the dreams with Freddy in them. Um, and Will, uh, and again, this is kind of jumping ahead, but Will seen Lori's dad kill Lori's mom. Um, or so he thought he saw. He climbed up to the window, and that's what he seen. Um, so that's why he got sent to the psychiatric hospital. Um, he later breaks that to Lori. And while he's telling her, like, listen, your dad killed your mom. You can't go with him. And then the dad, like, slams against the car window. And he's like, Lori, you need to come in. And, like, he basically drags Lori in. And he's trying to, like, make her drink juice so he could, like, make her go to sleep. Um, and he would try to do that earlier in the movie, too. Um, but the way this dad looks, like, he just looks intentionally evil. Like, he looks super ticked off. And he's like, come here right now, Lori. Um, but she escapes, she climbs out the window, he's chasing her around, she jumps back into, uh, Will's car, and they drive away. But you might be saying, well, how do they get out of the psychiatric hospital? 
they had a very, very smart plan. Mark moons a security guard. They give him a shot. And Mark steals the keys and then they just run out. Um, it's not very well thought of. And you would think they would get caught eventually, but they don't. Um, they, you know, they run all over the high school when they finally reunite with Lori. It's a little far-fetched. I mean, these guys don't even go to the high school. And when Lori's, like, having a breakdown, uh, Will is, like, right there next to her. And Mark's like, dude, principal, we gotta go. And he's, like, screaming that. He screams, like, five times. And the principal kind of looks up like, what? What's going on? And he sees the two of them sprinting away, but no one tries to stop him. Eventually, we meet a character named Linderman, who is a nerdy guy at the school who likes Lori. But every time he goes near Lori, he is there to just insult him, and then he'll, like, insult her back. I kind of feel for Linderman a little bit, just because he's just like, oh, hey, Lori, what, what's going on, you know? Like, you're looking good today. And then Kia will, like, pop in. She's like, gosh dang. Every time he's around, he's just trying to jump Lori. And, like, makes him out to be, like, this huge, awful guy. Which he's not at all. Like, he seems pretty nice of a person. And he later tells Kia that, you know, she tears him down because she's insecure. And it's crazy that she can even think of these insults because of the ten pounds of makeup on her face. Probably weighs down her head, or it was something like that. Um, but these two are always going at it, and I mean, that's kind of dynamics of their characters, um, at least until they die. Our main characters decide it's a good idea to go to a rave in the cornfield after two of their friends have been murdered. Um, they're like, oh, maybe it'll ease the nerves a little bit. So they go out to this rave, and you know, people are drunk, it's a gigantic circle in a cornfield. Um, Gibbs gets really drunk, um, while she gets drunk, she hallucinates seeing her dead boyfriend, of course yelling at her, cause that's what her boyfriend did, and it's Freddy Krueger trying to trap Gibbs, um, he has her in his little boiler, boiler room, um, but before he can even kill her, um, she's killed by Jason Voorhees, because while she was laying in the cornfield, passed out, um, one of the ravers, is that, is that a word? One of the people that were raving um, was basically on top of her, on top of her um, raping her. But Jason came to the rescue and uh, stabbed him and flung him like 75 feet. But while he stabbed him, he also stabbed her that was on bottom. I, th I feel like it's a callback to uh, some of the other Jason movies to where he stabs a couple having sex, even though these two weren't. Um, but it's that, that I don't want to say double penetration, but that's kind of what it is. Um, so yeah, Gib dies, um, and Freddy Krueger's really mad. You know, this is where the angsty starts, and Freddy Krueger's getting tired of Jason taking all of his kills. After Gibbs killed... Jason stumbles upon two other partiers. One of them's Shaq, this kind of like little round guy. He was one of the guys passing out flyers to come to this party in the first place. Um, but Shaq dumps alcohol on Jason and then lights him on fire. And this leads to a really cool scene. Um, because the stunt guy who was playing Jason this time, um, they literally doused him in this kerosene to make him light up really quick. 
Um, of course, he had some like flame retardant substance, you know, to keep him from like burning. But I mean, he literally walked through this cornfield 75 feet. And he said he couldn't see a thing while he was on fire because of all the smoke. So they had a little radio in his ear telling him what direction to go as he's navigating this cornfield. It's a really, really cool scene. And then he comes onto the rave and then he just starts massacring people um, that are at this rave. Again, it's a really cool scene. And if you look up the behind the scenes stuff, um, it's just cool to hear about all the things they did. You know, all the things they had to go through. Um, I don't know. Again, I, I said the word cool three times, but I'm going to say it a fourth time. This was a cool scene. Deputy Stubbs decides to join these kids and their adventure in taking down Jason and Freddy. Which to me is just silly. Like, I know the cops aren't really playing ball with him. They're telling him to look the other way. Don't worry about it. It's safer if you don't know. Which is true. Um... I would say the cops in this movie are in the right. But, you know, Deputy Stubbs, he decides to team up with a bunch of teenagers um, so they can take down Jason and they can take down Freddy. While they're talking in this basement, basically like loads and loads of exposition happens. The characters kind of find out why Jason and Freddy are there. Um, and during this scene, Lori's kind of like, Hmm, Freddy died by fire, Jason died by water. How can we use that? Um, and they basically indicate that Freddy is weakened by fire and Jason is weakened by water. Which, if you watch the Friday the 13th franchise, you would know that that's the farthest thing from the truth. Um, there are several movies where Jason either swims in water, he's lurking in water, he's hopping out of water, he's dragging people in water. Jason's in water a lot. So it doesn't weaken him, and I don't want to be one of those people like, well, actually. But, I mean, I do think it does need to be said. It's a little bit silly that they say that Jason's weakened by water. Um, and after they do all this exposition, you know, they come up with this plan. They're going to go into that psychiatric hospital. They're going to steal the medicine, Hypnosil. So they take their little adventure to the hospital. And, of course, Jason's going to meet them there, and also Freddy's going to be there. Um, there's a little room full of, like, kids or teenagers that are, like, asleep. They're in comas. Um, and that was pretty creepy because Freddy uses that to his advantage. Um, some of the characters, when they go in, those kids are, like, sitting straight up and they're pointing and they're, like, whisper-talking. Um, it's kind of freaky. It's probably one of the freakiest settings the movie pulls off. Um, but there's also a character I forgot to mention him because I do not like him. I wish they just would have let Gib live a little bit longer. But it's the character who looks like he's from Jay and Silent Bob. Um, he's the stoner. I'm just going to call him the stoner. Um, really long hair. and For some reason he joins the clan after the, the rave. Again, I really wish they just would have let Gib live a little bit longer. She was a better character. Um, I don't want to see the stoner character, but whatever. He's here. It actually made me laugh a little bit whenever they are in the hospital. Um, the stoner looks at one of the characters and he's like, <laughs> J-time. And he starts smoking uh, a blunt. Um, and they're like, what are you doing, man? Like, we're, we're with the police officer. And he's like, oh, what's he going to do? He ain't going to do nothing. They don't care. And he starts smoking. Um, and while he starts smoking... Um, 
Freddy Krueger takes the shape of like a roach and also smokes weed. It's a really goofy scene. Um, I don't really care for it. I don't know why it's really there. It's like people are like, oh, Freddy smoking weed. That's cool. Um, whatever. But the roach like blows smoke into the stoner's face. And the stoner's like, wait, I want more. And follows the roach into the room. And again, we see the creepy kids like pointing. And they're like, you gotta like dump the hypnosil. And he's like, wait, wait a minute. We need that though. I don't want to dump it. And then the roach like jumps down his throat. And now Freddy's possessing the stoner guy. Now this part was a little weird because Freddy Krueger really doesn't possess people. He can make people do stuff. He's turned people into human puppets. Um, in Nightmare on Elm Street 2, I guess possession does in fact take place. Um, you know, Freddy was in um, Jesse. And there, there was that whole dynamic. But I mean, like, the people that don't like for it, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, I feel like it's usually because they feel like it breaks the franchise, its rules. Um, you know, the, the rules that are set up in the first one, like, the second one's just like, we're, we're not following that. Like, we're doing something different. Um, but then the third one's like, wait, let's go back to the rules. And then the fourth one, fifth one, follow suit. So the second one's kind of the oddball out. But, you know, Freddy versus Jason, they're like, well, how, how are we going to get Freddy and Jason to fight again? And they're like, well, there has to be a possession. And I almost wish, I, I almost wish, instead of rolling with Freddy possessing the stoner guy, I kind of wish that Jason possessed the stoner guy and used the little, like, turd worm thing to make the stoner guy do whatever they need to do. I know it wouldn't make sense because Freddy needed a reason to get the syringes to put Jason asleep. Um, but I guess that's just my little criticism there. I'm just like, why is Freddy possessing people? Like, I feel like he could have went other ways of doing this, but whatever. Once Freddy does get Jason to pass out, you know, Freddy now has the home field advantage of the Freddy versus Jason. So, when Jason wakes up, you know, Freddy does take it to him. Um, Freddy sends Jason around like a pinball, and they even have the pinball sound effects, which I actually find funny. I kind of crack up every time I watch it. Some people think it's dumb, but I enjoy it. Um, and Freddy kind of puts Jason through the ringer in this. And also, while he's asleep, Freddy learns of Jason's weakness, the water. Which I know a lot of people hate, but in this movie, that's the rules we're going by, I guess. Because um, there was just like literally water falling onto the floor. And Jason goes to stab Freddy, and Freddy braces. And Jason pauses before he crosses that stream of water. Like, he doesn't want to touch water. It's not a body of water. Like, this is just literally water flowing on the floor. And Jason's like, whoa, water. Don't want to go through it. Like, you know, it's nothing like... It ever happened in the franchise. It's crazy. Um, but then we get a little bit of the background of Jason. Because Freddy plugs his finger into his head. Um, our main girl Lori. She jumps into. Because of their plan. They need to get Freddy into the real world. And she goes. Oh and we'll drive to Camp Crystal Lake too. Because that will be Jason's um, home turf. <laughs> home, home field advantage. So she jumps in and we see Jason getting picked on at the camp. There's a lot of scenes to make us feel bad for Jason and kind of view Jason as the good guy in this film. 
Um, it's understandable. I mean, it's kind of hard to paint Freddy Krueger as a good guy. I mean, Freddy Krueger literally just kills little kids. Um, and depending on the um, which vision you see it by, I mean, he also like did nasty stuff with kids. Um, I know that was in the reboot. Um, I believe when the first one was being made, they had the idea of him being a child rapist. They didn't roll with it because there was a lot of cases going around with that. But I mean, I think you even see it in Nightmare on Elm Street 5. There's a little newspaper clipping that hints at that. So you really can't make Freddy Krueger the good guy. You just can't. So we see the camp. We see Jason getting picked on as a kid. I mean, we even see Jason kind of acting like a kid when he sees water. You know, and I think that makes us as an audience feel for Jason a little bit. During all this, Lori also figures out that Freddie was behind the murder of her mom, and the dad was just trying to cover it up um, to protect her. And it's funny, because whenever she tells Will this, Will's just like, oh man. But eventually we do pull Freddie into the real world, and when we do, the cabin's like on fire, because Jason's like trying to kill everyone around him. Um, it's a pretty cool scene. Uh, when Freddy turns around and he realizes he's in the real world and Jason's heading right for him. It's one of those like rare moments where you see Freddy Krueger like a little bit nervous or like a little bit afraid. Like, hey, they got me. Um, but he still fights because it's Freddy Krueger. And it's a really cool fight scene. Jason slams Freddy through like 37 windows it feels like. Um, yeah, it's great. It is very great, the last fight. Um, Kia gets killed um, towards the end. Um, I mean, Jason literally just, like, sends her flying, like, 60 feet. Like, Kia's trying to talk crap to Freddy Krueger, and she's like, Oh, you got these little knives, and you're trying to make up for something. And, and then, like, Freddy's sitting there, and he's just kind of like, Oh, behind you. And then Jason takes care of her right away. Um, again, Keo was kind of having an annoying moment during this, so I didn't mind seeing Jason take a good old giant swing at her. Again, just talking about the final fight, um, it's very good. I mean, there, there's points to where Freddy sends up these giant metal spears through Jason, and then, like, sends this giant, uh, metal crane-looking thing flying which is impaling him even more and blood shooting out like crazy um, but then jason kind of like gets out and jason deals a lot of damage um at one point he chops off like freddy's arm i think he chops them both off in the dream and it's funny when he does it in the dream because you know freddy's fine but freddy's like not my arm and then he just like grows it back and laughs because freddy's a jokester um, but you know, in the real world, it's not so funny for Freddy anymore. I mean, by the end of this fight, um, you know, our final girl, Lori, she lights the entire pier and it blows up, which is like basically almost the end. But before she even does that, like both characters are covered in blood. Um, Freddy has Jason's machete. Jason has one of Freddy's hands with the claws. And they're just going ham at each other. Jason's like... Jason's super strong and super powerful. Freddy's super quick and agile. And both of them are going at each other really, really good. Um, 
it's a fun fight. It is a really fun fight, and they actually go at it. Um, unlike some of the superhero stuff we see sometimes. Our final shot we do see after the explosion. I mean, Freddy Krueger walks up to them with like an arm cut off, but the other arm is holding Jason's machete. He's about to swing it at him, but Jason like comes out of the water and uses Freddy's own hand and impales him through the chest. Um, and then they like both fall in. No, they don't both fall into the water. Jason goes into the water, and then Lori says, uh, Welcome to my world, bitch, and cuts off his head. And then he goes into the water. And that's kind of like the end of the fight. Um, and of course, at the very, very end, we see Jason walking off holding Freddy's head. But Freddy looks at the camera and gives a nice little wink. Um, and to me, it's the perfect ending. Because I feel like Nightmare on Elm Street fans can be like, Oh, Freddy got the last wink. He won. And then like Friday the 13th fans could go, well, he was holding Freddy's head. Of course he won. You know, you, you can give arguments to both characters. So, there, you know, there's no favoritism going on here. Now, there was a teasing of an ending to where Jason and Freddy both go to hell. And then they continue fighting. And while they're fighting, I guess Pinhead walks in and goes, Now, fellas, what are we fighting for? Um, you know, and it ends in that sort of way. Um, that would have been kind of cool to see. But, um, you know, we're here to see Freddy and Jason. I mean, the, the tie-in would have been cool, but I'm perfectly fine with the ending that we got. I think it's perfect. Um, no sides can complain. And it's just a fun film. I mean, to sum this up, because I was just kind of... Literally, when I got done watching it, I was like, okay, how am I going to talk about this? Because I... I feel like sometimes I have a bad habit of droning on and on with the plot too much. Um, but I was like, how can I talk about this movie and kind of explain it without going on t way too long? And I feel like I spent so long talking about the plot. So, I mean, like, kudos to this movie with all these plot points, all these tie-ins, all these different characters. Um, and, you know, they shoved it all into an hour and a half movie and we still got a really cool... We got really cool fights between Jason... And Freddy. I mean, it's pretty impressive. And I don't... No matter what direction they would have took this film, there would have been some people that complained. But I think this is probably the best direction they could have took this film. I think it was really well done. It's really entertaining. It's really fun. Um, if you like Freddy, it has Nightmare on Elm Street moments. If you like Jason, it has Friday the 13th moments. Um, and it has everything in between. So yeah, I would say this is a pretty good film. Um, it's a nice bounce back from Jason X and Jason Goes to Hell. And it's a nice bounce back from Freddy, Freddy's Dead. Well, I guess New Nightmare was after Freddy's Dead. But I mean, you get my point. You get my point. So this wraps up my review for Freddy vs. Jason. If you are still listening, thank you for listening so much. Um... Feel free to like this episode, that helps out the channel a lot. Feel free to comment to tell me who you thought won the battle between these two characters in the film. It's always a fun thing to talk about. Um, and if you haven't subscribed, feel free to subscribe so you know when future episodes come out. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street fans, I do plan on covering the franchise at some point. Um, so if you're like, hey, why did he only do Friday the 13th and not, not, not Nightmare on Elm Street, if I can talk. Um, 
I do plan on covering that franchise also. So, you know, feel free to subscribe. Well, anyways, until next time, guys.